So a couple of reminders. Um, uh, for those of you here in the room today as we have communion, it's on the back table back there. So when we have that, that time when um, we break for communion and we have the time of worship, you can go back and grab your communion. And uh, we had this last month, but these are new. On the bottom is the piece of bread. So you can pull that off. It'll fall right into your hand. Then, of course, the top is the juice. Don't do this. It'll be a mess. So do it this way. Uh, for those of you at home, this is a good time for you to go ahead and get your communion elements if you've not already done so. We're also uh, happy and honored today to have in our presence the happily married couple over here, Bill and Colleen. Eight days of wedded bless, bliss, and you guys know me, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but did you guys have any fights yet? Not yet? Okay. All right, good. All right. That's, that's great. Just checking in. All right. Anybody else have any fights? You need us to pray for you? Any married couples having issues here this morning? Okay, you don't want to raise your hands. All right. We'll pray for you anyway. All right, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41 as we continue our study here. As I mentioned last week, we should be able to continue our pace here for the next few weeks. Chapter 50 is the last chapter, so we've got roughly four or five weeks counting today left in the book of Genesis. Then we will move through the Christmas season together and then um, begin the new year in the book or the gospel of Matthew, which we are very much looking forward to. So if you were in Genesis chapter 41, it's a very long chapter, uh, so I'm going to read down to 36 to try and give us a little continuity for what is happening uh, in today's story. So let's begin reading there. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out, out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt... And all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each dreamed a dream, and one night he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant and of the captain of the guard. And we told him and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office and he hanged him. 
Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them, and the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, seven years of famine will arise. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. It will stop there. Lord, thank you for your word. May you illumine your word to us, your servants, as we listen. May you speak to us. May you bring to our hearts and minds the things that we need to hear, the things that you've intended today for our instruction. And may our hearts be open. In Jesus' name, amen. So an interesting passage, you may recall in our last session together that Joseph had been in prison uh, for a period of time because of Potiphar's wife and because she tried to seduce him and he resisted her, uh, her temptations and she became angry about that because she couldn't have him and so she ended up having him thrown in jail Uh, lying uh, through her teeth to the servants and to her husband, saying that 
Joseph had acted dishonorably toward her when in fact the very opposite was true. Now, uh, we find that Joseph had, uh, when he had got thrown into prison, immediately God began to bless him. And he, uh, we saw last week, of course, the, the, the topic was that phrase that was repeated over and over and over, which was that the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord blessed Joseph and very quickly gave him a position of authority there in the prison, in Pharaoh's prison. And he became the captain of the guard and he was highly trusted and all the men of the prison were given charge underneath him. And so the Lord was blessing Joseph and then the baker and the cupbearer had gotten thrown into prison because Pharaoh was in a bad mood and they had done something to displease Pharaoh and they had dreams and Joseph, uh, with the Lord's help, of course, interpreted their dreams and told them that within three days, uh, the cupbearer would be restored to his position, but the baker would be hanged and his life would be taken from him. And everything happened exactly as Joseph had said, because, of course, the Lord had spoken to him and through him. And then as he had given the favorable interpretation to the cupbearer, he said as he was being released, hey, would you remember me? Well, now two years have passed since this event has taken place. And so Joseph has been sitting in that prison, in that dungeon, for those two years, waiting for something to happen, hoping that that man would be gracious and merciful and remember him and perhaps put in a good word with someone, perhaps even Pharaoh, to get him out of jail. But now these two full years, verse 1, have passed, and now we uh, come into the scenario where Pharaoh himself had a dream, and of course we just read about those dreams. And Pharaoh, keep in mind, the pharaohs of Egypt, while they were indeed kings, they were people who believed in many gods. And Pharaoh himself was often regarded as a god, as the incarnation of a god. So the Egyptians placed a high priority upon dreams, and they thought that the gods, plural, often spoke to them through dreams. But for the very first time in Egypt, as far as we know, the Lord has used this righteous man, Joseph, to be a vessel who would interpret dreams according to God's word and God's will. And so that word, that prophetic word came through Joseph concerning the dreams of the butcher, excuse me, the baker and the um, cupbearer. And now uh, the uh, Pharaoh himself has a dream and these, actually he has two dreams, and these two dreams appear to be speaking of the same thing. He had the dream of the seven cows and of the uh, seven stalks of grain, and then he had some very unusual things happen in his dreams. The, uh, the cows that were, were thin and gaunt and ugly that rose up out of the river came and ate the the plump cows, the ones that were very healthy, and of course that would have been highly unusual, right, to see one cow eating another cow. We don't usually see that kind of thing within the animal kingdom, where one type eats its own. And then even to have the second dream where the grain uh, put, devoured the, the good grain, the bad grain or the blighted grain devoured the good grain. And so as uh, the Pharaoh woke up in the morning, his spirit was troubled, verse 8, and he sent and called for the magicians. Uh, and, and actually this story, if you know your, your Bible, 
very much parallels what happened in the book of Daniel, where the, the king there had dreams and called his magicians and no one could interpret. It also happened uh, with, in the book of Nehemiah. So God used these dreams to speak to these men, these pagan men, these kings, but he used his men that he had put in place, Nehemiah, Daniel, and in this case, Joseph, to be his, uh, his hands, his feet, his eyes, his voice to these people, to these pagan kings. And so now as uh, the Pharaoh is recounting his dream to the people in his court, it just so happens, of course, the cupbearer is there, the chief butler, and he says, uh, yeah, you know what, I just remembered there was this dude in prison, and he was really good at interpreting dreams. In fact, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed that I forgot about him. Uh, he did me a, a great service. He, he spoke what has happened. You know, I've been restored, Pharaoh, to your service, which I'm very grateful for. And so he sort of recounts that before Pharaoh. And as he tells him this, the Pharaoh says, okay, go and get him and bring him to me that he might interpret to me my dreams. So many lessons come from this story, and let's just start getting into some of those lessons. Sometimes, here's lesson number one, sometimes the good we do seems to go unrewarded or unrecognized, doesn't it? The good we do seems to be unrewarded or unrecognized. And sometimes we get discouraged in doing the right thing and doing good, doing what the Lord tells us that we should do. But we should continue to do it. And we looked at this verse last week in the book of Galatians chapter 6 that says, not, let us not grow weary in doing what is right. Another lesson is waiting is a common theme in the Christian life, isn't it? It's something that we often don't like to embrace. We want God to give us what we need to speak to us when we need answers. But so often God appoints us to wait. And often, here's another lesson related to that, God often appoints us to wait much longer than we would like. There are times, I'm sure, in all of our lives that we can point to or that we can remember where we prayed and waited and sought the Lord. And finally, after much time or many years, God granted the request, he answered the prayer. And another thing that we can take from this, of the many, is that God appoints our starts and our stops. God appoints the times when things should happen or when things should not happen, when something begins and when something ends. And so it was for Joseph. Now, as we remember Joseph's journey, remember he was given a couple of dreams many years ago now. And in those dreams, um, he was shown that his family would one day bow down before him and serve him. And then he told those dreams to his family. And his brothers already hated him. They knew that he was the favored son. His dad had given him a special coat, a coat that would have signified that he was sort of the ruler of the house and the heir of the father's inheritance. And so the brothers hated him, and you remember the brothers sold him into slavery. They were originally going to kill him. 
But uh, Reuben stepped in and, and spoke for him and said, let us not do this evil thing. And then uh, the slave traders came along, the Ishmaelites, they sold him, got some money for him. Then they went through that horrible process of killing a goat, uh, shredding his jacket, putting the blood on it, taking it back to their father, lying to their father's face and saying, a wild animal must have eaten your son. This is his coat, right, dad? And of course, Jacob was heartbroken over that. And we'll find out a little bit later today that for all these years, Jacob has been grieving and his grieving has never ended. And so now Joseph is called by Pharaoh into his court, verse 14. Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon and he shaved, changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. Now something that we should understand If you've ever seen uh, any literature about Egypt, or perhaps you saw the movie, uh, Moses and the Ten Commandments, that when you see the pharaohs of Egypt, often they are arrayed in very fine white linen. They have a lot of gold on, golden necklaces, uh, turbans on their head, gold earrings. They're very uh, ornate in the way that they are decorated. They have often very fine sandals or or gold sandals on. They have a staff with usually some type of gold ornament on top. And they ruled uh, in such a way that people feared them. And so the Egyptians had their ways of dressing. They shaved their heads. They put makeup on. They had all this gold adornment on. And Joseph, being a Hebrew and having been in prison, was a man who had you know, a beard, and he probably was very unkempt, and he looked like a wild and crazy man. So when they sent for him and uh, to come to the Pharaoh, of course, you couldn't send a man into Pharaoh's presence, looking as Joseph looked, looking like a Hebrew. So immediately they shaved him, they changed his clothing, they cleaned him up. They decorated him to look as uh, someone would need to look in Pharaoh's cabinet, who would be ministering before Pharaoh, And it's interesting to note that from this point forward, Joseph's appearance was altered. And he no longer, after this point, looked like a Hebrew son. So all of these things happen. And then he was brought before Pharaoh. Now, as we continue with some things to think about, some lessons, we're seeing right now before our eyes that God's timing can come together in an instant, can't it? Things that we've been waiting for, things that we've been seeking the Lord about, maybe for years, and in this case, it had been 13 years at this point in Joseph's life since his brothers did that horrible thing to him. For 13 years, he's been in Egypt. He served several years in uh, the house of Potiphar. He's now been in prison for at least two years. And now the elapsed time is 13 years on his life as he is ushered into the presence of Pharaoh. God's timing can come in one split second. Joseph woke up that morning in prison, but he finished the day the second most powerful man in all of the world. And all of a sudden, Joseph's dreams that God had given to him over 13 years ago at this point began to make sense. This was God's doing. So Pharaoh, verse 15, said to Joseph, 
I've had a dream, and he tells him the dreams. No one can interpret it. And as he tells the dream, Joseph answered in verse 16, saying, it's not in me. God will bring the interpretation. God will give Pharaoh an answer. You see, for these 13 years, God had been doing something in Joseph. Now, we already know that Joseph was an honorable man. We know that he was a man of integrity by how he has conducted and handled himself in Potiphar's house, for example, and how he's conducted himself during the time that he's been in prison. But here's another principle that we often miss, that during the time of our waiting, during the time of our imprisonment, if that be the case, God is forming character within us. God is doing a deep work in our hearts. And like Joseph, often we have to learn in the waiting. Sometimes we think, Lord, I don't need more patience. But you see, God is the one who determines that. God is the one who determines what we need and when we need it. God is the one who determines for how long we need to experience these things. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, verse 17, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank, and then he retells his story as we just read it, down to verse 28. And as Joseph is now speaking, as God is giving him direction, as God is giving him understanding and interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams, he says, This is the thing, verse 28, which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Now, Joseph, in bringing the name of God in, he's bringing the Hebrew name of God in. He's bringing in the name of the God, the one true and the living God. And again, to remind you, the Egyptians had at least 2,000 gods. And they would have seen the Hebrew God as yet God number 2001, just another in a long succession of gods. But you see, Joseph is presenting to uh, Pharaoh who God is. He's standing there saying, I'm not the one bringing the interpretation, God is. And if we fast forward to the New Testament, Joseph is standing before Pharaoh, he's standing before the most powerful man in the world because God has given him an opportunity. And in that moment, he opened his mouth and what came out was giving an account for the hope that was within him, which is what Peter tells us, right? To be ready Always be ready to give an account for the hope that is within you. And so Joseph is now before Pharaoh, and as he's speaking, he's giving glory to God. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And implied in the word, which is not very well translated for us, he's saying the one true and the living God, the only God, has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And in essence, it's like he's saying to Pharaoh, you know, you are constantly looking for direction from the gods, Pharaoh, right? The God, the only God has spoken to you and he's given you direction and he has shown you what to do. You see, many of us want guidance from God like a map, don't we? We want God to show us where to go and what to do and when to do it. Instead, often Jesus comes to us as a guide saying, stay close to me, abide in me, and I will guide you along the way. You see, instead of looking for a map, we should look for a guide. And that guide is the messenger from God, the man from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so as he has interpreted the dream to Pharaoh, and he tells him about these years of plenty that will come, and then the years of famine that will come, he now says, verse 32, and the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. You see, Joseph understood that there was an urgency attached to this dream. And as he's telling Pharaoh this, he says, verse 33, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Now as Joseph is telling him these things and he's given him the interpretation and he's telling him this is what God has shown you, he's now taking the bold step of acting as an advisor to the Pharaoh. He's going beyond interpreting the dream, which was all he was called upon to do. And he's offering advice to the most powerful, richest man in the world on how he should conduct affairs. This is a bold move by Joseph, but is a move of faith. Joseph, as he stands before this Pharaoh, he is empowered by the Holy Spirit and Pharaoh will understand and acknowledge this in just a moment. But notice what Joseph is doing. Having interpreted the dream, he's given the Pharaoh knowledge. He's saying, this is what God spoke to you, and I'm telling you very clearly, this is what it means. Now, let me give you wisdom. You see, wisdom is the application of knowledge. And so he's offering to Pharaoh the skilled application of, of the knowledge through wisdom that God has given to him. And before we go further in that, let me just say this about that. Too many of us have knowledge, but not wisdom. We know the right things to do, but we often don't do them. And wisdom, which James tells us in his epistle, is something that we can ask for, If any man among you lacks wisdom, man or woman, let him ask of God who gives generously to all men. And so God was giving great wisdom to Joseph. And in so doing, giving great wisdom through Joseph to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So in verse 34, let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land. Look, this is going to happen. We don't have time to waste here. Here's the plan. Appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth, 20% of the produce. So he's saying, we're going to have a 20% tax for the next seven years of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So right on the spot, he's giving Pharaoh a very detailed plan. And as he's saying that, he says, let Pharaoh order this. Let Pharaoh administrate it. Let Pharaoh do it in all the cities so that it may already be distributed so that when the years of famine come, it will be easily distributed and sold to the people as they have need. And so in this wisdom that God gave to Pharaoh through Joseph, you see the problem had to be understood. The goal and the vision to meet the goal had to be formulated and communicated. The right people had to be put in place, the officers over the land. 
they had to understand the big vision and their role in carrying out that vision. Someone had to make sure it was all operating according to plan. The work had to be measured. And God would use a man to put all that into place. And it would turn out that that man would be Joseph. Now, Joseph was offering the wisdom to Pharaoh. He was not promoting himself. He was simply saying, Pharaoh, you should be wise and do these things to carry this out. We don't have any time to waste. Verse 37, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Now, this is the very first time in the scriptures that a man was filled with the spirit of God. And it's Joseph. And it's in the presence of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh sees this. Pharaoh acknowledges that the words that Joseph is speaking to him are coming from the one true and the living God. Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Indeed, the Bible says in a couple of places, a faithful man who can find one. So this is the first mention of the Holy Spirit coming upon a man. And it is, in, it is interesting to note that it was in regard to very practical things. Joseph didn't preach a sermon. He didn't lead a prayer. He didn't stand up and on a soapbox. He just simply gave the wisdom of God, the wisdom that God gave to him. And Pharaoh could see in the character of Joseph, in the message that he communicated, in the knowledge, in the wisdom, in his humility... Pharaoh could see the Spirit of God working in and through this man's life, and so it is with you and I. You see, sometimes we think that it has to be like the day of Pentecost for everything, that to be filled with the Holy Spirit means I have to stand up and do some magnanimous thing. I have to do something that's so far beyond me, out of character for me that that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit, and that's not true. You see, the Spirit of God gives us wisdom. The Spirit of God fills us. He enables us to be filled with love, to make good, sound decisions, to know how to give a fitting word in proper time to someone who is in need. And so he did this through Joseph's life. Then Pharaoh, verse 39, said to Joseph, inasmuch as God, acknowledging God, has shown you all this, There is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. What a difference a day makes. Woke up in the morning prayed to the Lord, here I am again, Lord, just praying that that guy might remember me. Lord, might you be merciful to me. Lord, I know you spoke to me. I know you've given me direction. I know you've given me dreams. I'm waiting. It's been 13 years, God. And as he's praying, all of a sudden the keys are clanging in the lock. There's a commotion coming in and he's being rushed rushed out, ushered. Hey, quick, we got to get you over to the barber shop. We got to clean you up. You got to take a bath. We got to get some clothes on you. We got to get you into the presence of Pharaoh. And he's like, what? What is happening? Boom, all this stuff happens probably in the course of an hour. 
His life completely changed for 13 years. Joseph was waiting faithfully, patiently in his relationship with God. These were hard years, these 13 years. When we think back through all that happened in Joseph's life, and I think it's at this point that some New Testament scriptures make a lot of sense to to us here. Listen to what Luke chapter 16 says. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Isn't that what the Lord just did in the life of Joseph? Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Joseph had been faithful for 13 years, even though we would look at it as a slave, as a man who was wronged, as a man who was in prison wrongfully, that it would be hard to be faithful in a situation like that, but not true. We can be faithful in any situation, faithful, first of all, to the Lord, and then faithful to do and to discharge the duties that God has set before us, to do it in the name of God, and to do it in such a way that he is honored. You see, promotion and advancement is always from the Lord. If you've been successful in any way in your job and your place of employment, if you've ever received a promotion, if you've ever done well in your vocation, then I want you to realize something this morning. That's not because of you. You may say, yeah, but I worked hard. I know you did. But God did it. God did it through you. See, God gave you the desires to do the things that you did. God gave you the ability to work in the way that you do. God gave you the blessing. God gave you the promotion. God gave you the pay raise. God gave you the advancement. And we need to understand that. We need to see that. Why? Because it's just as Joseph said when he said to Pharaoh, as Pharaoh called upon him, he said, look, it's not in me. It's in God. And if I am successful in some realm of the world, listen, it's not in you. It's of the Lord. Give glory to God. You see, you bring nothing to the table. I bring nothing to the table. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if someone notices you, then it's God allowing them to notice you. If you get a promotion, it is God who is doing the promoting just as he's doing here in the life of Joseph. This is not to say that hard work, preparation, good habits, and other human aspects do not contribute to success. They clearly do. Yet even those things are gifts and abilities from God, and they should be regarded with humility and gratitude toward God. Promotion and advancement is never enough without the Lord. You can't be so promoted or advanced to where you stop needing Jesus. Often, promotion and success make us more than ever see our need for Jesus. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life, standing here today as one of them, where I'm in a place that I often feel that I shouldn't be. 
doing things that I feel unqualified to be doing. Yet, it is the Lord who enables these things. God enables us. God gives us the strength. God gives us the wisdom. God gives us the power. Then Pharaoh, verse 42, took off his signet ring from his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and he put a gold chain around his neck. And in that moment, Pharaoh transferred power from himself to Joseph. And Pharaoh said, you shall be the second in command of all of Egypt. All of a sudden, Joseph got a promotion. Oh, my goodness. Who could have thought such a thing? Who, who, you get up that morning and all of a sudden you're the vice president of the United States. How do these things happen? You see, it's God. God is doing the promoting. And as he does these things, we are told that Pharaoh, as he gave the signet ring, which was certainly the symbol of the authority of Pharaoh, he would uh, write a document and take that ring and put the impression of the seal of Pharaoh on it, and it was the highest law in the land. If he said it, it happened. It was as if Pharaoh said it. And he clothed him in garments, and the way he was arrayed in these garments with the gold necklace and all of that clearly indicated that he was second in command. And all of a sudden, Joseph has been transformed from wearing the garments of a prisoner to wearing the garments of a king. And this same thing has happened over and over in the scriptures, haven't it? In fact, in Zechariah chapter 3, we find that this man named Zerubbabel, who was, excuse me, Joshua, who was the high priest at the time. And as he was there overseeing the rebuilding effort after the Babylonian captivity. We are told there that the Lord is speaking and there's an angel, there's a heavenly scene taking place. And it says, then he, he answered, Zechariah chapter three, verse four, then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by and the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house and likewise have charge of my courts and I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. In that moment, Joshua was made high priest by the Lord. And a part of that transference of power as God promoted him to being his servant and his representative was to give him new clothes. And in the scriptures, being given new garments, being told to put off the old and put on the new is emblematic of our identity in Christ. It's emblematic of our new relationship with God. In fact, we're told in the book of Colossians, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. But where there is neither uh, Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, 
meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You see, just as the Pharaoh put new clothes on Joseph, so you and I in Christ have been given new clothes to wear. And it's all of those things we just read. Genesis 41, 43, and he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out to him as that chariot went, bow down, bow down. And so he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or his foot in all of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphath-Paneah, and he gave him as a wife Ashenath, the daughter of Potipharae, priest of On, and so Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Most likely this name that Pharaoh had given Joseph means God speaks and he lives. You see, Pharaoh in that moment acknowledged again who God was. Now, as we've been talking about Joseph's life as he woke up that morning in a prison and is now finishing the day in the court of Pharaoh as the second most powerful man in the earth. Think about the Pharaoh. He went to bed the night before. He had this incredible set of two dreams. Joseph has been called into his presence. He's interpreted these dreams. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh is going, hey, here's my ring. Here's my staff. Here, I'm giving away my power. You know, God's made it evident to me. This God I didn't know before you walked into my court has made it evident to me. He's spoken to me. And all of a sudden, God has been promoted in the court of Pharaoh. You see, we're looking at the story saying Joseph's been promoted and God promoted Joseph, but Let's not miss the fact that God has been promoted. He has come full center court in front of the king of the world, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh gives Joseph this name. God speaks and he lives. Joseph, we're told in verse 46, was 30 years old. We know he was 17 when he was sold into slavery. He stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, went through all the land. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So Joseph was carrying out the plan that he spoke in the presence of Pharaoh. He gathered up all the food, laid up food in the cities, in the fields. They gathered, they took the 20%. They gathered as much grain uh, as they could and they stopped counting for it was immeasurable. And remember how God had blessed Joseph before that when he came into Potiphar's house, Potiphar's house was blessed because of Joseph. Then when Joseph got put into prison, the prison was blessed because God was with Joseph. And now God has put Joseph in this place of incredible power and influence in the land of Egypt. And all of a sudden, God is blessing the bounty of these seven fruitful years. God even blessed Joseph by giving him a wife. Now, maybe it wasn't the wife he would have chosen. Maybe he had in his mind, like his family, that he should have gone back to his people and taken a wife from there. But this is what God gave him. And when God gave it to him, so he he joyfully, he willfully accepted it. And now all of a sudden he has two boys uh, by this woman. The first was Manasseh, which means God has made me forget 
all the toil of my father's house and the second son Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Forgetful and fruitful are the names of his two sons. Then the seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt ended and the seven years of famine began. So there was 13 years and now seven more years. So now there's 20 years. And then they've entered this land of famine. And when God appointed Joseph through Pharaoh to be second in command, Joseph had no idea what was going to happen. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. He's the man. Whatever he says, that's what you should do. The famine was over the face of the earth, not just that region, but the whole earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. Now in verse 42, we see, now we flash back to Joseph's home to where Jacob is. And we are given this zoom in picture of what's happening there. And the same thing is happening there. They are experiencing this difficulty and this hardship. And Jacob looked at his sons and saw there was grain in Egypt and said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? Because he said to them, I think you guys should head on down to Egypt and get some food for us. And they're looking at one another. And he saw that look because they knew what had happened, right? Remember, they sold him as a slave. And where did they head? They headed down to Egypt. And they're thinking, "Uh, we don't really want to go to Egypt. We might run into somebody down there we know that we don't want to see. And he said, indeed, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us that we may live and not die. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Now, here's another thing to point out as far as a lesson. Famine is not a good thing, but God used it. God can and does use material need and lack in our life to get us to do things that we normally would not do. Normally, their brothers would never go to Egypt, but their need drove them to Egypt. So God orchestrated a divine set of circumstances, and so it would seem from the story that this divine set of circumstances was being orchestrated to fulfill the two dreams that God gave Joseph 20 years earlier. Think about what's happening here. Now, God, of course, had divine plans, But he's orchestrated this whole scenario to bring his family down to Egypt that they might bow down to Joseph and that God might show himself to be God over everyone and everything. So as Jacob was sending his brothers, he didn't send Joseph's brother Benjamin, who was, remember there were two boys by Rachel only, Joseph and Benjamin, and he loved Benjamin. He had lost his other son, so he said, Benjamin's never going to leave this place. So they go down to Israel to buy grain, and as they journey in, Joseph being the governor was the one who did all the business and who said who could buy and, and who couldn't. And Joseph's brothers came, verse 6, and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Now, in that moment, as interesting as that moment was for Joseph as his brothers came, the dream wasn't fulfilled, was it? Remember, his whole family was supposed to come and bow down. 
So the brothers came, and they bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger. Remember, he's dressed like an Egyptian. He's got the makeup on. He's the second in command of of all of Egypt. And these brothers have come and bowed down to him, and they're kind of looking around going, hope we don't run into Joseph. Oh, here's the ruler. We better bow down before him, not realizing that it's him. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. Joseph then, verse 9, remembered the dreams in that moment. And as he remembered the dreams in that moment, as Joseph begins to speak to them in the way that he does, a bit harshly, he's now taking them through a process. And Joseph is not being mean. Let's not under, we should not understand it in that way. He's not being mean to them, but he's sort of taking them through a process. And something very interesting is happening here as we go through chapter 42. Joseph is bringing them to the place that they can see and understand and acknowledge when the unveiling comes of who Joseph really is, that they will come in in the, the full repentance and the full acknowledgement of what they've done. See, Joseph could have revealed himself at this moment to them. And we know as he saw his brothers, his heart bled, his heart was broken. He loved his family in spite of what they had done to them, but he begins to call them out. You're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. But remember, there's a beautiful verse in Psalm 119 that says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Joseph needed to bring a little discipline into their lives, but I'm sure that he did not do this with a smile on his face. Verse 10, and they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We're all one man's sons. We're honest. Your servants are not spies. And so he continues this course of action. No, but you are spies. You came here to spy things out. And they said, no, your servants are 12 brothers. They say the same thing over to him again. And Joseph says to them again, no, you're spies. I know you are. And in this manner, you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let uh, him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether what you've said to me today here is true or not. So he put them all in one prison three days and let them think about it. Throw them in the slammer, give them a few days to think about what had happened. And so... Uh, He says, if you're honest men, you do that and then I'll send you away and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, so they're in the court of Egypt. They're speaking Hebrew. They don't know that Joseph understands Hebrew because he's speaking Egyptian to them and they're conducting business somehow. Most likely he's speaking through an interpreter at this point to sort of keep up the ruse. And so they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear, therefore this distress has come upon us. So they're looking at the situation saying, this is all coming upon us because of what we did, this horrible thing we did 20 years ago, and they're seeing it as the judgment of God. And Reuben answered and said, didn't I speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. 
in that moment, his heart was broken as they were recounting the story that he didn't know right before his eyes. He heard it and it was overcome with emotion and went into the back room and wept. And then he came back out and he talked with them and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes, just as he was bound before their eyes. Then Joseph gave the command, verse 25, to fill their sacks with grain, to restore their money, to give them back provisions for the journey. And thus he did. So they loaded their donkeys and put the money back in and they sent them away. And as they got along the journey, they opened one of the sacks and they began to discover that, hey, wait a minute, the money that we used to pay for this stuff is in here. What's going on? And they began to get afraid and their hearts were failing them. And they said in verse 28, what is this that God has done to us? Does God hate us? Is he judging us? And in reality, what was happening is that God was blessing them through Joseph, but they didn't know it. The man who is the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies, verse 30, but we said to him, we're honest, we are not spies. And so as they, they went through all of that, they got home, they told all this to their father. And as they're telling the father, <clears throat> they said, and bring your youngest brother to me. So I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. And I will grant your brother to you and that you may trade in the land. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was there in full. And their father said to him, you guys have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon's now no more. He's probably dead. And now you want to take Benjamin. Woe is me. Everything's against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father with this crazy, preposterous idea. Well, dad, kill my two sons if that'd make you feel any better. It's not going to help, right? It's not going to bring him back. But he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down with my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Uh, Jacob is at a place where he's saying, this whole thing, this last 20 years, my life has been terrible. And you can tell as you listen to Jacob talk here that he has been a man living in deep depression for 20 years. But we know as we get to the next story that this is all gonna change. Because eventually they're all going to go down there. And God's going to turn this whole thing around. But right now, everything looks very bleak to Father, to Jacob, to the patriarch of the family. And I want to close with this verse this morning. It's a verse we all know. But in this context, it should jump off the page at us. And here's the verse. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. You see, God is orchestrating a divine chessboard here. He is moving the pieces around and God is in charge. You see, God promoted Joseph and put him into this place. God has a plan from way back. Before Joseph even had those two dreams, God had a plan. You see, this is why it says in the book of Revelation when Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. 
I am the beginning and the end. You see, God knows all these things. You and I, we know nothing. The book of 1 Corinthians tells us at the end of the love chapter, it says, for we see in a glass darkly. You see, we have to keep trusting the Lord, abiding in the Lord, calling out to the Lord. You see, everything we do, everything we are, even our health, even the very breath that we breathe comes from God. Our money, our paychecks, our cars, our houses, our health, our children, it all comes from the hand of the Lord. God is in charge. God promoted Joseph And God takes care of you. He takes care of me. His hand is sovereignly over everything. Do you believe that? Do you trust him? Will you bow your knee before him this morning as we come to the Lord's table and give him thanks? Will you open your hands and worship to the Lord and lift them up unto his name? You see, God is the God of all things. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the king. He loves you. And just as we said last week, just as God was with Jacob, excuse me, Joseph, God will be with you. So Lord, this morning as we come to the table, we remember who you are. God, we remember that you're our savior. Everything comes to us. We are not our own. We are bought with a price and you have called us to glorify you in our body, in our mind, in our heart, in our soul. And Lord, perhaps this morning a little repentance is in order for us, that as we come to the table, maybe there's things we need to lay at the altar. And so as we worship and as we go back to receive the communion and then partake together, both here and online, we pray that you would bless us, God, that you would minister to us, that you would build us up in our most holy faith, and that we might walk out of here as Jacob walked in, excuse me, as Joseph walked into Pharaoh's presence, a man or a woman filled with the Spirit of God. That's how we want to live. May you have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.